0: Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome back. As we continue on in our Bible study that we're doing, um, we are working through the New Testament together. We're in Matthew chapter 14. We'll have this uh, entire New Testament done uh, four and a half years from now. And uh, we're really looking forward to the end date. But uh, we're, we're plugging away. All right? So mark your calendars. You've got something planned for the next Wednesday night for five years. And then, like I, I said, then we're, we'll tackle the Old Testament. That's a 15-year process. And we'll be done, and we'll start all over again, because what else would we do? Um, We've been working through the text, um, and by working through it this way, it helps to hold some things in tension for you as you read through, where if you're just sort of uh, spot-checking verses, you you can sort of miss some of the meanings that are going on. Oftentimes, people, uh, it's it's not unusual to take verses out of context. And um, you can take verses out of context, and they end up saying things that they really didn't mean, in the first place and people do that all the time and so knowing them in context will help you go and say well no that's really not what that verse means uh it's it's not how it was supposed to be it had a context behind it it was written in 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 a part of other passages of scripture and in that spot in that context it means something completely different than if you were to just pull one out so when you take a an entire gospel like this and work it through uh, you, you begin to see the story fit together and you see how some of the verses fit together in context. And, and so you'll, you'll see then that, that they have a, a, a deeper meaning as you look at them. And then the, the thread of the story also helps. And so, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, we've talked about a lot of things uh, to build to this point and in, in, in how the Bible ties together so that as we begin to study the Bible, we, we can see how the thread works together. So we're up to Matthew chapter 14. Um, up, up to this point what we've been uh, through and looked at is we've seen and talked about the birth of Jesus his uh, baptism uh, by John uh, in the in the Jordan and the holy spirit coming we've seen and talked about the temptation that he went through in the desert we looked at uh, the sermon on the mount which is three chapters of Matthew 5 6 and 7 where he basically undoes the teaching that uh, had sort of become prevalent ...at that point in time, which was a very religious, legalistic teaching. And we, we talked about the Pharisees and how uh, the Pharisees really started out with a good intent... ...a couple hundred years before Christ. And that they were put together, because it's important to remember this, how they got that way. They, they started out with a mission to protect Judaism from the influences of the Greek culture, from being Hellenized. And so they started out, like a lot of things do, with good intention. But the way that they decided they could protect Judaism was by implementing rules... And uh, we've been talking a lot about rules lately, and that, that rules don't don't work very well because uh, we we think that that's what we're supposed to do is when we get a, if we can get a set of rules and we know what we're supposed to do, but uh, we need to come to Christ, and and then we need to do out of a response to the love that He has for us the next right thing. But the the Pharisees had had uh, this group had morphed into hundreds and hundreds of rules and regulations based on the big ten, the ten commandments. Okay, and now there were. 700 and some rules that went along with that and all sorts of other things that had come at the, at the teaching of the Pharisees. And so Jesus comes at the Sermon on the Mount. You, you heard him say it time and time again. You have heard it said, talking about the teaching of the Pharisees, but I say to you, this is what God intended. Never, never, it's not what you've been hearing. It's about ultimately a relationship. And he came, Jesus came as Messiah. And he he's talked about the kingdom. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. And he told him what the kingdom was like. And then he, he begins in chapter 8 to really demonstrate the kingdom through signs and wonders. And he's backing up what he said. He said the kingdom is here. And then he's demonstrating that the kingdom is here. Well, what begins to happen is that the people of Israel had been looking for Messiah to come. And they were... Uh, had this picture of what he would look like and what he would do. And, and their picture was that he would come and he would restore uh, Israel to the, its place of prominence at the time of David. That's what they were looking for. They wanted back to the kingdom of David, which was the highlight in the history of Israel, where, where they were basically in charge of everything. And, and they were inconquerable and, and they had they were all set up. And so they were looking for Messiah to reestablish that kingdom. Well, when Jesus came, he didn't meet their picture even close. And they were scratching their heads all the time. Because, see, they couldn't deny his teaching and they couldn't deny the miracles. But because he didn't fit the box, they said, this can't be, this can't be the Messiah. He's not the king that we were looking for. He can't be the king. Because he doesn't fit our picture, he cannot be the one that we were looking for. And and so we see the the discussion begin over you know in chapters eight nine ten, and and then what happens is a point comes where the Pharisees choose to reject Christ as their king, they they and everything at that point begins to change, and they they no longer are just sort of hanging out listening they're now plotting how to get rid of him because he's making too many waves, and and what they can see is him coming and destroying, all the effort that they've done and so they they just. Don't want to have anything to do with anymore, and so uh, what happened in that last chapter, in chapter 13, Jesus began to teach in parables, and um, the parables were such that for people who really want to lock into Jesus, the parables make sense, but for the scoffers, they don't make any sense at all, and it began the separation of those who would choose to follow him and those who wouldn't. Now, if they chose, if they changed their mind, they certainly could, but they had made their minds up. They weren't they weren't going to come back, and so. We move now into Matthew chapter fourteen, having set up the entire process for you, um, and and let's go ahead and read Matthew fourteen thirty six verses, and uh, I will read it for you today. Uh, it's in your notes, I believe, or if you you can pick up a pew Bible if you want, I'd rather read it there. Matthew chapter fourteen verse one and following. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. you got to think, you know, because remember John the Baptist's ministry was a tough one. He was calling people to repentance. He called it the way he saw it. He didn't pull any punches. And he was already in Herod's bad graces anyway. So he, and he was telling him, Psh, what you're doing, you can't do. And Herod was not pleased. But Herod was afraid of him because of the people at that time, because the people esteemed him as a prophet. And so he, was, he wasn't messing with him, but he's, he puts himself in a spot where he's going to have to. Because here's what happens. Because what, what's happening here is Herod is with his brother's wife. All right? Uh, Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. That's, that's just nasty, isn't it? Think about the times where that was even a possible request. Wild stuff. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths, And his dinner guest, he ordered that her request be granted. He'd said it and he wasn't going to look bad in front of his guests. So uh, John the Baptist was beheaded. And he had uh, John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. Have Sir give them something to eat. No, that's not what it says. I apologize. That was a misprint in my notes. What, only 5,000? Piece of cake. I've got to make a phone call. <laughs> uh, they do not need to go away. You give them something, Jesus said. We have only here five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, men besides women and children. I don't know if you've ever seen that, the feeding of the five thousand was really the feeding of probably about twenty thousand. So five thousand was enough of a miracle, but that, there was more at the group, right? Because they were just counting the men. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter, Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. And people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Now, um, some interesting things take place in Matthew 14. And again, we're 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 seeing a shift in this situation. Um, uh, when John was killed, John the Baptist, it was another reason for the people to reject Christ because their ministries and the way Matthew records both of their ministries, they're very much linked together. And and in effect, it appears like you know whatever has whatever happens to one impacts the other. And, and so. Uh, Um, because John the Baptist is killed and Jesus does nothing in response, again, it's the thought, this is not what our king would do. And so it causes even more people to uh, begin the process of turning away. The excitement uh, that had been so prevalent has started to really ebb at this point in time. And and what you'll begin to see is in the last chapter he was talking to the guys in parables, people that wanted to hear could hear. His miracles now shift, and he's really not, he's not doing what he does any longer to um, demonstrate that what he said was true for, to, to make his claim on Messiahship. Now, most of his ministry is going to be directed towards the disciples. And you'll see that from now on. Now, things still take place, but the, the, the emphasis changes. And what you see now happening primarily is you keep, as Jesus is doing things, you'll keep hearing he was moved with compassion. And so he's operating now out of his compassion. Um, more than he is in trying to, the continuance of the demonstration of the message. And so the, the, there's a shift that's, that's absolutely taken place in this process. And he begins, at, from this point on, to prepare his disciples for what uh, lies ahead. The, the Pharisees have rejected him. Jesus is aware of the, crucif- the cross and the crucifixion. He knows it's coming. And his guys never get it until the very end. They still don't get it even after it happens. But he begins... From now on, you'll begin to see him doing things to prepare them. And even in this chapter, he's, he's really begun preparation of his disciples to be ready to take over when he goes. See, this was... Uh, they were entrusted with the church. That's on these guys when he leaves to get things started. Now, he's sending the Holy Spirit who's going to empower them because other, otherwise it would be in a mess. But, but uh, they, they have to begin this process. And, and so this entire season is, is, a, is a training time for his disciples. Now, Jesus is so good at how he's done this because he's remember he started to train his disciples and then he sent them out without him to go and do the things. They, and he, they, they did it. And they came back and they would tell him what would happen. And then I think they would get together and he'd do some more teaching and then he sent them some more. And he was adding some people to the mix. And he's preparing because ultimately it all comes back to us. We are the disciples, and now he's empowered us by the Spirit to go and do the very same things. We, we are the church, and the church isn't this building, it's us and, and, uh, and the other people in the other buildings. Don't, don't, it's not just us, I'm not saying that, okay? Um, but we are to be the church, which means we're to go and do the things that, that we've been commissioned to do, that Jesus has commissioned us to do. Therefore, go and make disciples. It's it's part of the calling on all of our lives. And we all have different ways that we do that. We're not all, uh, you know, people that can uh, step up and talk in, big, in front of big crowds. We're we're not all people that can, uh, you know, uh, maybe answer every question. But all of us have a calling to go and be involved in this disciple making process. And we can do it with the gifts that God's given us. Some people just have amazing capacity to pray, and they're, they're a vital part of what happens. They they just pray. They're 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 willing to be in the back and just pray others um are great at encouraging and and others are are really good at just telling their story about what's happened to them and others are very perceptive of what's going on in people and they they move into situations and they demonstrate kindness see all of these things are are part of the ministry that's been given to us and and so we're we're to go just as the disciples went so you, you need to be looking at this as as jesus prepares him because in in much the same way he prepares us for the ministry until he comes back, and that's what we're looking for. And so, um, so now, now what we see: the the Pharisees have absolutely sided against him. That's that's a foregone conclusion. Jesus was not acting as a king should act. That's what they were coming to the whole time. Why does he do what he does? This this can't be right. And now even Herod, who was hated by the Jews, had killed John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and Jesus does nothing. And so the the excitement has really begun to ebb here a little. Now, uh, at, at verse 13, it says Jesus withdraws to a uh, private place, solitary place, lonely place, whatever your translation. Now, even though he pulls away, because he's, he's, th- that's an impact. This is a big deal that John the Baptist has been killed. You, you, you can imagine. Um, the crowd still follow Jesus. And at this point, the people that are following him are just waiting to see what happens. They're watching. This is big stuff. And, and somehow... They know it, and, and I, I just think they want to see what he's going to do. And, and yet Jesus is no longer going to perform miracles to demonstrate uh, his message. He is, however, as I said, going to be operating now out of his compassion and, and the compassion that he has for the lostness of people. Because the lost, he can tell. You know, it's, it's what he sees everywhere he goes. And so um, in this same manner, in verses 14 through 21, he's moved to feed people that are hungry because of his compassion for them. He cares about them. You need to know. See, that's important because sometimes we don't always realize how much Jesus cares about people. We can get real inclusive sometimes and we think he cares about us because we're his kids, but he cares about everybody. He's got a heart for everybody. And, and his, his desire is that they would all come into relationship with him. That's his heart. And so, so, we we have to make sure that we see people the way that he did, and he had this tremendous compassion, which which often we we, we lack. So um, they begin this feeding process of the eight uh, of the five thousand, which is probably more than five thousand. Now, there's this is a foreshadowing, I believe, of the ministry that the disciples would have. It's a picture of how ultimately it's going to work, and and so. Um, he, he says, it, first off, because they ask him what he's got, and he says, well, bring me what you got, in verse 18. That's where we start. Um, we go to Jesus with what we got. And he's going to use what we got. It's pretty cool, really, when you think about it. But that's where it starts. If you go to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is what I am. This is what I got. This is me. And I, I want you to use me. That's what he that's what He works with. Isn't that cool? I, I like that. Because that means right where I'm at, whatever I'm going through, if I give it to God, God can use it, if I allow him to. And so... So they begin that process in 18. Now, you have to get the process. Um, There's all these people, and they're hungry. And, um, you know, the disciples are hungry too, and what they have is enough for the 12 of them to have a fish sandwich. All right? (laughs) If they take it easy. No mayo. So, fish sandwiches were big back then. Every time you check them out, they're eating a fish sandwich. That's what they got. They got bread, they got fish. Fish sandwich. Jesus' favorite food. So, so they got enough for about a dozen fish fillets. And I think about it. I think they're thinking, this is our food. Why are you giving away our food? I, I really believe that's in there because they're like, they know what they got. And they all these people there, and they're hungry. Um, you ever get hungry? Uh, <laughs> is it harder to share your food when you're a little hungry? Don't take my food. So they got, they got what they got. And, and Jesus just says, okay, bring it to me. And so they're like, great, he's taking our food now. And uh, this is a tough walk. Um, but here's what happens. They, they bring the food to Jesus. Bring it to me. And then he prays and he blesses the food. And he begins to give the food to the disciples to give to the people. So, so see how it's going now. It's going from Jesus through the disciples, to the people. The disciples have brought what they had. He's blessing it. He's giving it to them. and saying, go give it away. And they give it away. And what happens? They give it away. Everybody's full. And at the end, they pick up how many baskets? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Jesus made a big point. Don't ever worry when you're with me. I got you. You give me what you got, I'll take care of you. And it's a picture, see, because their entire ministry now is not going to be about feeding people physically. They're going to be giving people spiritual food. And, and the, 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 it's always going to be the same. They have to go to Jesus with what they have. Jesus will bless what they have and they give it away. And as they begin to run out, they have to go back to the source because it's not in them, within themselves. It always comes from Jesus. But now it's moving through the disciples to the people. There's a shift that happens. And he's preparing them for what's happening. And that's what happens today. It's the same deal. We go to Jesus what we got. He blesses it. Tells us to go and give it away. We give it away and then we go back to Jesus and he gives us more to give away more. And we continue the process. And there's always enough. We don't ever have to worry about what about me because there's always enough at the end for us. And, and so this is a huge shift in, in the entire ministry that takes place in that um, miracle. And uh, and Jesus would always be the source, and He's teaching them that in the process. So, look at some point. Can you imagine? Because I, I, this is what I try and do in that process. I try and think what it'd be like to be one of the disciples right then. Wouldn't you? Could you imagine? You know what you started with, and 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 I don't know how the miracle worked. I don't know if if every time they reach and they give something, there was more there. I don't know how the miracle happened. It just happened. And, and, and there, was, there was enough. And what was going on in the minds of the disciples when, when there, was, there was all this? I mean, can you, I, I can't even imagine what it must have been like. They, they would have to be in awe. And they kept seeing these things. But, but that, more than the crowd, he had compassion on the crowd. He was feeding the crowd, but he was teaching his disciples. And he was, from now on, you're going to see the things he does are really for his disciples to, to make sure that he's erasing their doubts so they can always be settled in who he is. And so, um, so this big thing happens, and what does he do? He sends them on the boat, and he says, You go ahead, I need a break. And so off they go on a boat, and he goes out, and he, he hangs out and prays for a while. Jesus would do that. And, and he dismissed the crowd, and he went and prayed, and then it got late into the night, and he, he's got to go catch up to the boat. And so he just walks out there. Wouldn't that be handy? <laughs> Think about it. Do you get your line stuck when you're fishing? No big deal hop out of the boat and go walk over to it. So so he he's going and he's walking and and the guys have just seen this feeding thing. But there's a, it's getting a little stormy and Jesus isn't there and they they start to and they think it's a ghost. And and they can't believe that it is Jesus. And and they're like, "Is it really you? Is it you, Lord? Is it you?" And and Peter's like, "Is it really you, Lord? If it is, tell me to come." And and Jesus will, "Come on then." Walking on water no big deal <laughs> you ever try it? Anybody? come on honestly you have you know you have you just do the one toe thing no it's not working so so Peter goes out and he's good for a moment but he gets his eyes off of Jesus and what happens He starts to slip and Jesus grabs him and he pulls him back up but but see. Um, it's a picture to the disciples that he is who he claimed to be he is who he said he is and and you'll see now more that the focus is that that they can make sure because it's it's a it's a faith walk for these guys even though they're right there doubts keep coming back on them because it's, it's changing everything and and so they, they quickly move back into doubt and he's given them every proof that he can because see they have to make it through the crucifixion he's got it figured out that they're not going to know that they just because they never really grasp it and and they have to endure that, um, and so he's given them because they're gonna in that time they have to be thinking yeah but he did this and he did this and he did this and he did this how did this happen so he's preparing them all along the way and and the disciples would would continue to receive miraculous assurance throughout their walk now I, I think that's still true today in in this sense unbelievers aren't swayed by miracles because people ask all the time "Well, why didn't God just come and do these things and I would believe the problem is there they wouldn't they would dismiss them again because he's always doing stuff and people that don't want to believe dismiss it as coincidence and well it was an act of nature it was this it was that it was and and yet for the believer we see stuff don't you see stuff all the time that makes you remember that God's real little things he does stuff all the time (laughs) little things God does in my life and I know what he's that was God. I know it was God because it's it's too big to be coincidence, and and He does these things continually. It's a it's a constant assurance. It's a miraculous assurance that He is who He said He is because it's it can be easy for us to begin to doubt in a culture that that you know thinks that we we don't have a you know any brains in our head, and and so He constantly gives us these assurances just like He did to His disciples. Then He does it now, and that's sort of the heart of chapter 14. Next week, guess what we're going to do? You guys are really getting the hang of this. I think at the end of five years, you'll really have it down. Chapter 15, if you'd like to read ahead, reader for next week. Pass me up your prayer request. I will pray for you, and we will call it an evening. 99, good for you. No problem. look like one to me.